Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the third part in our series, The Blessed Life. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. John chapter 12, and this is just one of my favorite stories in Scripture. It says in verse 3, it says, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray Jesus, objected. He said, why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this, though, because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. I want to call this message today, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. Come on, can we clap our hands one more time? You guys can find a seat this morning. So glad that you could be here at uh, 9.30 service. Hey, do you mind just really quickly saying hello to someone besides you? Maybe you've never seen them before, but... So glad you guys could be here today. We are wrapping up uh, a series today. This is the third and final part of our series called The Blessed Life. Uh, Anyone been here at all for this series? Few people. Hey, if you missed any part, they're all online. You can catch up, and you don't necessarily need to hear one part for the next part to make sense. Uh, But man, this series has been about generosity. It's been about stewardship, and ultimately, this idea that God wants us to live a blessed life. And I hope that You've been stretched in this series. I feel like it's been stretching to me, and I'm just excited uh, for what the Lord wants to do as we wrap up today. But I want to finish today uh, beginning by talking about a leadership principle. It's also like a parenting principle, and I'm going to show us how it relates to to stewardship. Um, But the principle is this when it comes to leadership, parenting, managing, any of those things. Generally speaking, we tend to communicate in one of two frequencies. Uh, Those frequencies being command and control or to trust and inspire. Command and control, trust and inspire. Now, all of us at times we speak with both or we go back and forth when it comes to the frequencies. Um, And parents, you know this, (laughs) you go back and forth in terms of trust and inspire, command and control. Um, At work, your bosses, back and forth. But generally speaking, most people tend to lean one way or another. And what I mean by that is they have a frequency that is kind of just their frequency. Now, I would wager to guess, for all of the people that you've ever worked for, the ones that like you consider like, I can't stand, like they were the worst bosses ever. I would wager to guess that they spoke in the frequency of command and control. And command and control essentially is just telling people what to do. And uh, when it comes to parenting, like those moments where like you really wanted your parents to just step off, chances are they were probably like in that command and control frequency. Now, 
Command and control, like, it isn't always bad. Understand that. Like, as a parent, like, if your kid is running into oncoming traffic, like, that is not the time to trust and inspire. Like, that's the time for, like, command and control. Stop. However, if command and control is the only frequency in which someone speaks, it generally doesn't go well in the long run. Now, what's ironic, especially as, as me who was... I guess I still am a child, but I'm also now a parent. But um, children generally, they have it in their head that, like, I will never communicate poorly to my children. Right? Like, like, especially, like, if you didn't like your parents. So, like, I will never be like my parents. I'm going to trust. I'm going to inspire them. Um, but all parents know this. That's, like, what you want but time and time again, it's just really easy to go to that command and control frequency. Point being, um, and, I, and I believe like why it's the easiest is because inevitably there are times where like we just know what's best. And so we want, just want to tell people like, hey, this is the best way to do it. Here's how to do it. Simple as that. Like I don't want to give you an inspirational speech to clean your room. I just want you to do it. But the problem with command and control as opposed to trust and inspire is that when you command and you control people, you can get behavior to change. Like anyone can change behavior, at least temporarily. But at the end of the day, what I think that we should strive for as leaders, as parents, as people, is not behavior modification, but heart transformation. And I think that heart transformation usually comes more from trusting and inspiring people as opposed to commanding and controlling people. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, like, okay, we're talking about stewardship. We're talking about, like, blessings. Like, what does any of this have to do with what I'm talking about? So glad you asked. We've been in a series all about stewardship, generosity, and even more than that, we exist under the umbrella of followers of Jesus and church. And what's funny is that when it comes to church, like, you would think, because like, we follow a Savior that literally, like, died for us, gave his life for us, a story that is inspirational. Our understanding of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is transformational. Like, these, these two things are the, the backdrop, the bedrock of our faith, yet as Christians, as believers, pastors, leaders, it's really easy to skip past, inspire, and move to command. And control, like this is just what you have to do. Um, and so, when it comes to back to, to where we've been in this series, the blessed life, generosity, stewardship, finances, I want us to understand something. Uh, God's heart for us is not simply to act correctly when it comes to how we steward our lives. That's, <laughs> he's not sitting up there like I just really hope that they steward well. The truth is, I believe that. Ultimately, good stewardship helps us live better lives. But all of that is secondary to what Christ truly wants, which is our hearts. And so I kind of want to finish this series today by getting down to the heart of the issue. In this series, we've talked a lot about principles, right? Talk about the, the principle of first or the principle of increasing returns. And, and principles are great, and I believe they can help us live blessed lives. But if our hearts are not transformed, if our hearts are not changed, we've missed the whole point. And so 
that's kind of what I want to do today. And I want to close out this series by looking at the heart. And I'm still going to give us, I think, some practical stuff today in terms of generosity and stewardship. But I want to begin with the heart. Can we do that? So John chapter 12 is where we are. And I'll give us some context in a second. But I'm just going to read verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now, uh, I spoke about Lazarus Good Friday. I'm well aware that was like four weeks ago, and most of you guys don't remember what you ate for breakfast yesterday. So, I'll let you know what happens in John chapter 11. There's a guy, his name is Lazarus. He dies. Jesus literally brings him back to life. That's the context. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so in John chapter 12, what we have is literally a resurrection party. Any of y'all ever been to a resurrection party before? Maybe? A couple people. That's what they're celebrating. Literally, someone has came back to life. And the people that are in attendance is Lazarus, and then we have his sisters, Martha and Mary. And we're going to hone in on Mary uh, today. And one thing I want us to understand about Mary is that she was a follower of Jesus even before her brother was brought back to life. Like in John chapter 11, she says, like, I believe you are the Messiah. I believe like you are, you are Savior. You are Lord. I believe all of that. And then when Lazarus is resurrected, that didn't like give her faith. It just gave her reason to celebrate that which she already believed. And so in John 12, like literally, it's a resurrection party. Make sense? You got that? And so in the midst of this party, and I should also say there's more than just Martha, Mary, and Lazarus that were there, um, because that's not much of a party. Come on, somebody. But that's who's named in John, in the Gospel of John. So verse 3, it says, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet. And wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So I want to begin by by talking about the heart of giving. The heart of giving. Now, I don't know where everyone lands today in terms of where they would classify themselves. And I, I truly hope there are people here today that are not quite followers of Jesus. Maybe you're on the cusp. Maybe you're just trying to explore. Like where. And I'm so happy you're here. But for those of us that perhaps would already call themselves a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand something. Lazarus's story is your story. Now, you may not have physically died, and if you have, I would love for your testimony in a couple weeks. Um, but most of us have not actually physically died, but we are spiritually dead. And what we find out is that Jesus, when he comes into our life, what he wants to do is he wants to not just like change a couple things. He doesn't want to like just move the furniture around of your life. Like he literally wants to give you a new life. He wants to take you from death to life. And everyone that follows Jesus, what that means is that your story is that of Lazarus. I was once dead. I was a walking corpse. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit brought me back to life. And... I was, just, I was just thinking about just, just my story, because that's my story. Jesus saved me. Come on, somebody. 
And it's funny, like, I love, I love worship music. Anyone love worship music? Um, but I'm not, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm having a confession. Like, uh, the fast songs, you know, like the praise songs, like, they don't usually, like, do it for me. Like, I believe, I believe the words are true. Uh, and that's why I praise. I, I don't praise because I feel it. I praise because it's true. Um, nevertheless, uh, so something weird's been happening. There's this, there's this song. We, we've sang it here before, I think at a worship night, so you might not know, but it's called I Thank God. Anyone hear that song before? And, like, I, I just want to set some context. It's one of those songs, like, you're clapping the whole time. Like, it's like, come on. Uh, and I'm just here to confess Seven, eight, nine years ago, I would probably think, like, that's the lamest song in the entire world. I'd be like, bro, why are we clapping? Like, let's just, <laughs> come on. Um, but something weird has been happening as I've been listening to this song, um, and very particularly, like, the beginning of the song. And again, it's not like, it's not like something that's going to draw the emotions out, like the slow pad, or it's nothing like that. Um, but there's been something about the words that has just been causing me to get emotional as I listen to the song. And I'm not going to sing it. Maybe I will. We'll see how it goes. But the beginning of the song, it says, it says, wandering into the night, wanting a place to hide, this weary soul, this bag of bones. I tried with all my might, but I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting, a vagabond. And as I've been listening to those words, just kind of painted a picture of who I was before Jesus. I didn't realize it, but I was literally just a bag of bones. I was walking around with no purpose, with no hope, with no joy, and like literally just drifting through life. I didn't know what was next. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. But then as the song goes, and I don't have it written down here. I had that written down. But it goes, I think, something to the extent of like just when I ran out of road, I met a man I'd never seen before, and he told me that I am not alone, something like that. Um, and then it goes, he picked me up, turned me around. Come on. Set my feet on solid ground. I thank the master. I thank the savior. I thank God. Come on. <laughs> but like, I, I love that song because that's my story. Like literally before Jesus, I was wandering, lost. And then someone met me. And my story is simply this. I didn't invite Jesus in. I didn't say, like, hey, please come and change. He just came, and he changed everything. And so my story is like Lazarus. I was once dead, but now I have life. And I just believe for someone in this room, if you are a believer, not someone, everyone that calls himself a believer in this room, that is your story. Like, I love, I'm going to shout him out because he's here today, but Chris, my homie, he was uh, at worship night. He gave a testimony. And if you guys have ever met Chris, if you want to know what the joy of the Lord looks like tangibly, talk to Chris. Uh, but I loved his testimony. He said it was so funny. He's like, most people, like, know me, and I'm pretty, like, friendly. Uh, and I'm like, just a little bit, Chris. And he's like, but you should have seen me before Jesus. Because like, I, was, I was angry, and I was closed off, and it was just so powerful because like, I see him now. And I say that to say that that's the story of Jesus. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And this is Mary's story in John chapter 12. Not, not just with Lazarus, but her story as well, where it's like, man, like before you, Jesus, like I, I was lost. 
I will search him. And Mary is so moved. I want us to see this. She's so moved by that understanding, like, wow, there's new life in Jesus. That she goes and she takes this jar of expensive perfume and she begins to pour it on the feet of Jesus. And I want us to understand this because this is foundational when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving, when it comes to stewardship. Everything that we do is simply a response to the Savior that changed our lives. That's why we give. And if we don't have that, nothing else matters. So I want to say this. You can have the right principles and the right practices, but if you have the wrong heart, you've missed the point. And so this series, I I, I want to be practical because I know there are so many people struggling to steward well. But let's not miss the heart. Let's let's not miss the heart behind this. It's not that I have to give, that I have to steward. It's that I want to. It's that I trust there is a God who has given me everything. And so one of the things I've said in this series is that I believe that spirituality needs to be practical. Right? And so I know there are people like, hey, yes, he's changed my life. I want to give. um, But, like, how do I do it? Like, how do I give well? And in this series, we've given, you know, principles, practices. And I want to give some more today um, just to help us. Disciplines to practically respond to what my heart is saying. Because I think a lot of times we can feel, like, I feel something. But it's like, what do I do with what I'm feeling? And so one of the things that many of us feel at times is, like, I feel like I want to give back. But how do I give back? And so I'm going to show us um, three types of giving. And I'm going to show us where Mary's giving falls into these three types. Um, and these are really practical ways that I believe that we can begin to respond to that Savior who changed our lives. Does that make sense? So here are the three practical ways to respond when it comes to giving. And ultimately, um, I believe, stewarding well. So number one is this. I call it consistent giving consistent giving. Now, in this series, this is the one we've talked about a lot with the practice of tithing, right? We've said to tithe is to give the first 10% of your income to the Lord. Now, especially even today when it comes to these types of givings, but as this series has gone along, the tithe is the only one that has like a legitimate number attached to it. And so I think because of that, it's the easiest one that can become um, I would call it like religious. And what I mean by that is because there's a a, a practical number attached to it, it's the easiest to miss the heart and go straight to the behavior. You understand what I'm saying? And so one of the things I want to say with all types and all three of these gifts we're going to talk about today is that all three of these gifts must always be done in step with the Holy Spirit. Meaning if, if, if anything becomes just routine, we stop thinking about it, we stop viewing it as an act of worship, we've missed the point. And we won't experience what we're supposed to experience. And so I want us to understand that the Holy Spirit, when it comes to all of our giving, he is the ultimate guide, right? These are some practical tips, but ultimately let the Holy Spirit guide what you do with what God's given you. That's your time, your talent, your treasures. So consistent giving and the best practice, I believe, for that that's laid out in Scripture would be to tithe. Now, one of the things that people might say is something along the lines of, like, do Christians have to tithe? Do Christians have to tithe? And 
I would just say, if that's a question that is really stirring up inside of you, um, I would take it to the Holy Spirit. Because, and this is really for all things Christianity, it's going to help you out. If your baseline is, do I have to do something? There's probably some work the Holy Spirit wants to do before you get to that place of, do I have to do this? But I want to give us a couple of things practically. So, um, do Christians have to tithe? Some people will say it's, it's only found in the Old Testament. Uh, do we have to do it under the New Covenant? I'll just say three things. Number one, let the Holy Spirit be your guide. That's number one, first and foremost. Number two, um, I would say, I, I believe that tithes and even offerings, these practices and principles, I believe that they show up before the law, in the law, and after the law. It's all throughout scripture. Um, and the last one is this, especially, and this is where like, I'll just hit on this because this is a whole sermon in itself. Um, law versus liberty, right? As, as new covenant believers, we are now under grace. We're no longer under the law. And so what does this look like in the realm of tithing? Well, one of the things I would say is this. In the new covenant, which to be clear, I believe we are under the new covenant. We are under grace, no longer law. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but one of the things to understand is that as believers, what we do under the new covenant, especially when you read the New Testament, it never decreases, it always increases. So morality, for example, like we're no longer under law, we're under grace. That doesn't mean I have a lower morality or a lower moral picture because I'm under grace. Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter five. He says, you have heard it said, referring to law, you shall not kill. He says, but I say, anyone who even calls their brother an idiot is subject to judgment. Again, same thing, you've heard it said, like you shall not commit adultery. But I say, anyone that looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in their heart. And so when I take that understanding to our generosity, the way that I like to view it as, especially because, again, the new covenant isn't about thou and what shall I do and how much. It's about the heart. And so one of the things that I understand is when it comes to generosity, how I try to view it is that under Jesus, my generosity doesn't decrease, it increases. And this is not my own practice um, in, in terms of me coming up with it, but I, I love, um, and there's a few pastors, I heard it first from Tim Keller. He says how I try to view it when it comes to tithing, uh, is that if it is an Old Testament principle, I view that as my, my, my benchmark. Not my ceiling, but my benchmark for my generosity. Because I want to give more because I have more grace. Come on, somebody. And so, again, um, just understanding just a couple of things when it comes to that. But ultimately, ultimately, let the Holy Spirit be your guide. He will tell you what to do. Um, but I want to say consistent giving, and however you want to consistently give, is one of the best disciplines that helps us put Jesus first, right? That's like, because we can, we can say till I'm blue in the face, Father, you are first in my life, you're first in my finances, but if I don't have any practical and consistent disciplines, it kind of becomes a pipe dream, right? We started the series by saying uh, the words of Jesus, where he says, seek first the kingdom. If I don't have financial disciplines, spiritual disciplines, and time disciplines, I'll never truly put Jesus first. So disciplines are a really, um, I think, important practice, especially because one of the most ironic things about generosity is that statistics tell us that the vast majority of people, Christians and non-Christians alike, say, 
I would like to be more generous. Like, I wish I could give more. And so what I encourage people is that if you want to begin to give more and to give spontaneously, which we're going to get to in a second, you need to first learn to give consistently. Because it's kind of like a marathon. If you never run a 10K, you're probably not going to be able to run 26 miles. And so I have to start small with consistency before I can get bigger. So um, that's just one principle would be consistent giving. Number two would be spontaneous giving, right? And this one, like I think the New Testament talks a lot about this. A lot of times we call it an offering. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, no percentage, no rhyme, no reason, just obedience to the Holy Spirit. Each of you should give what you want. And, and spontaneous gifts, man, like these are the ones that it's just like, it's that little nudge inside of you. Right? Maybe you're like in a parking lot and you see someone, or maybe you're at church and a message moves you, or whatever it may be, but it's that nudge where the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, like, I want you to give this there, or give this to that person. And so I want us to understand, because I've, I've kind of ranked these things one, one, two, three, and it's not a ranking in terms of like <laughs> you're leveling up as a believer. Like once you get to three, like the Lord loves you more. <laughs> it's nothing like that. Um, but I have ranked them, I think, in terms of uh, helping you get from one to the other. Now, can, can you start on level three? Absolutely. Does it happen often? No. And I haven't even told you guys level three yet. We'll get there in a second. But I think that these, these, these practices help us build on each other and help us build our generosity. And so what I have found is that consistent giving unlocks the potential for spontaneous giving. Because if I've worked out that muscle, like it's, it's just muscle to consistently give, then I'm able to spontaneously give and respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Because in the best of times, 3%, 5%, 10%, whatever it is, it's hard to give away. And so if I don't have that muscle worked out, it can be harder in those moments where the Holy Spirit calls me to give something spontaneously. And so um, I believe, as I said, that Consistent giving unlocks the potential for spontaneous giving. Um, and there's just, you guys, I don't have time, but so many stories people can just tell you about, like, times when God has urged them to give something to someone, and it's unlocked blessings, not even in your life, but in their life. And ultimately, that's what God wants to do, is to use, use us to bless other people. So, number three, I got to keep going here, because I still got stuff to say. So, uh, number three is extravagant giving. Now, we're back to John chapter 12, and this is where I believe that Mary's gift comes into play. Um, another name for this would be a painful gift. Now, when I say painful, I don't mean painful in the sense of, like, I really regret the fact that I did this. That's not what I mean. Um, what I mean is that, like, this is so costly. Like, ugh. Like, this is going to cost me something. This is an extravagant gift. Now, these are often the hardest gifts to give. But when they're given, many times they're the most satisfying. Because even though it was painful, we were acting in obedience and we were able to do something extravagant. Now, we're going to read it in a second, but Mary's gift, that expensive perfume, what the Bible lets us know is that that was worth one year's wages. Now, like it's easy to be like, oh, it's just perfume, whatever. But think about that. Think about what you make. Some of you guys are like, I'm unemployed, but 
Think about what you could make in one year. Like a whole year's of work like could be just, you sell that perfume for one year. And, and even more than that, this perfume more than likely, it would have been a family heirloom that would have been passed down from generation to generation. And so there was more than likely a great, not just financial value to it, but a personal value to it. And so in this moment, when she pours it on the feet of Jesus, she's giving something costly, but extravagant. Not because anyone has told her to or because she thinks it's going to get her somewhere, but because her heart has been so, so stirred by Jesus. And so I want us to understand this. Extravagant, when I talk about this gift, it's not about a dollar figure. Extravagant is what's extravagant to you. Jesus talks about a widow who gives two copper coins. And he says what she gave was more than someone that has so much more. So it's not about a dollar figure. It's about how much did this cost me? Is it extravagant? And again, I would just say like all of us probably in our heads are like, man, I would love to just give something extravagant one day. But again, it's, it's following these steps. It's consistent. It's spontaneous. And then one day we can get extravagant. Now, some of us um, are in this phase already. And again, like you're extravagant and, and you might think I've never given an extravagant gift because I don't have a lot of money. That's not true. You, you actually perhaps might have given something extravagant. You just didn't view it as such. But um, anytime you've given a gift like this, there's always three phases. Number one is the hearing phase. Right? Like I hear the Holy Spirit. This is what he's telling me to do. Um, and then number two is excitement. It's like, yes, like I'm going to bless someone. This is going to make such a difference. Like I can't wait. And then number three, time and time again, is always fear. And it's like, well, hold on one second. Like, if I give this, like, what am I doing? Like, for us in the church, we take a year-end offering, um, and we, we always call it, like, an above and beyond offering. Like, hey, whatever God's calling you to give, just do it. And so um, for Christy and I, like, we always try to just say, God, like, hey, what are you calling us to give? And, again, I feel like, you know, we give in gifts that are extravagant for us. Might not be for you, but they are for us. And I go through these th same three steps always. It's like I hear it. It's excitement, and then it's fear. And I'm like, hold on one second. Like, I got, like, I got to pay my insurance. I'm going to need new tires this summer. Like, like what's going on, Lord? And, and it's funny. This thought always goes through my head. Um, and then I read a book, and this guy was saying that he hears the same thing, which is so funny. Um, but the thought that goes through my head is, like, maybe the devil told me to give that. <laughs> I was like, that was, that was probably Satan that... I was probably the devil that wanted me to give to the church in order to change people's lives and create margin to bless them and have a space. Like, that was probably the devil. And it's funny, though, because every time that we move past fear into obedience, never once have we regretted it. Because we just believe that, man, if God's calling us to give something, whatever that something is, like, he's going to do more with it than we will ourselves. And ultimately, like, when I realize that Jesus has given me everything, like, he has changed my life, I can't wait to give back. I can't wait to give him my time, my talents, my treasures. And so these three practical examples, I just, again, it's not about leveling up or any of that kind of stuff, just, just ways and practices that we can begin to respond. Because some of you might have the gift of giving. 
Like that's a spiritual gift, right? And if, there's, if you have that spiritual gift, here are some practices to help you cultivate it. Um, but as much as the Holy Spirit leads us to all three of these types of gifts, there's another spirit that is at play always trying to block us. And that's what I would call the spirit of greed. And the spirit of greed shows up in John chapter 12. It says, one of the disciples, verse 4, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray Jesus, objected to the gift. He said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, I want you to imagine for a second, Mary, because I, I would wager to guess she probably went through those same three steps, right? Like hearing, excitement, a little bit of fear. But, but then she acts in obedience. And can you imagine the very first thing she hears is Judas saying, what are you doing? Like, don't you know there was a better use for that money? And I can imagine just the, the shock in Mary, the disappointment, the hurt, the embarrassment. Maybe a part of her was like, yeah, like maybe I should have just sold that and given it to the poor. Like, he's right. Like, I'm so dumb. And here she has a tangible voice of accusation. But I believe all of us, when we give, there is a voice of accusation. It says, what are you doing? Don't you, this could be going towards your bills or towards that dream car or whatever it may be. And the voice of Judas sounds much like the voice of our head, right? Very practical. That could have been given for the poor. But look at this. It says, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You see, ultimately, Judas didn't care about the poor. He just wanted more money in the offering so he could slip a little bit and put it in his pocket. You see, that spirit of greed, ultimately, is the main thing that blocks us from generosity. And I want us to understand something. When we, when we view this story, our role is not to judge Judas, especially because we know how his story ends. I think. He betrays Jesus go read about it. Um, my son's name is Judah, and some people are like, oh, Judas, and I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to name my son Judas. Anyways, um, but our role is not to judge Judas. Our role is to look introspectively and ask ourselves, do I have that same spirit at play with me? Is there something inside of me that I've, on the surface, I've made it sound really righteous. But the reality is, there's a little bit of greed that's gripping my heart. Now, I'll give you a really quick test, I believe, to help you know if there's a little bit of greed that's gripping your heart. Maybe a lot of greed, I don't know. But one of the things that I think greedy people have in common, and all of us have a level of greed, understand that. It's, it's all of us. But I find that the more greedy we are, the more we can't help but look at how other people spend their money. 
and how other people steward their finances. It's funny, there's this thing in the pandemic, I saw it especially when we were all online, Um, a whole lot of people were really judgmental about how other people, specifically those with lots of money, chose to spend their money. You guys might not remember this, but there was a story uh, where Jeff Bezos, and it was a few years back, so I don't remember the exact amount, but he's the founder of Amazon, and he gave uh, either $10 million or $100 million to a specific charity. And um, like I usually do, I was perusing the comments uh, <laughs> to look at the feedback. And one of the things that people kept saying over and over again um, is like, how could he be so greedy? Like, because his net worth is in like the high billions. He got a divorce, cut that in half, still rich. And so people are commenting, saying $100 million, that's like pennies for him. If I was as rich as he was, I would give so much more. And I wonder how many of us have had that same spirit. Well, if I just had what they had, I would never buy a car like that. How could they live in a house like that? Don't they know about the poor? If I had what they had, What I want to suggest is perhaps that indignation isn't as righteous as you think it is. And perhaps the reason that we're doing that is because it's easier to steward someone else's money than our own money. And it gives us a convenient excuse to say, if I just had, I would do a little bit more. Can I tell you a story? I told some people, I've been waiting three years for this story, two years. Just got to find a sermon. So, in the comments on this particular thread, um, there was someone from somewhere in Africa, uh, third world country, and uh, she went back and forth with some person because this one person lived in the U.S. was just saying, man, this person is so selfish. Jeff Bezos, so selfish. Um, Again, if I had, then I would give. And this person comments under, And she says, well, I live in so-and-so country, third world country. Like, could you help me out? And I'll I'll never forget this exchange. She said, I would love to help you out. If I had the resources that he had, I would help you out. And the girl commented back, and she says, you need to understand something. She says, where you live and how much you make, she said, you are like Jeff Bezos to me. And I was like, dang, mic drop. And I... (laughs) I don't even think the girl responded to that because she didn't know what to say. But do you guys see what I'm saying? The point is we, we can always make excuses, but the truth is we need to ask ourselves, and this is what I think that Jesus does. He's not trying to turn us inward, like to be more about ourselves. He's always trying to turn us outwards. And how can we help more people? And so one of the ways I think that greed turns us inwards is that we never believe we have enough. And so we never can help the way we want to help. And so we always live with this, I wish I could, I think I could. But it's a lot easier to give criticism than it is to give of our money. And that's what we see is this spirit of greed. And I would ask right now, Holy Spirit, if there's a a level of greed in my heart somewhere, expose it to me. But I love the response of Jesus. 
He says, leave her alone. I love those three words. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Someone's on your back. Hey, leave them alone. He says, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, Matthew 26 also tells this story and adds this detail. Jesus says, truly, I tell you that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I want us to see the implications of this. The death and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus, the good news, the gospel. Jesus says right alongside that, this story will be told forever. You see, I wonder, and Prince, you can come up because we're going to wrap up here. I wonder, in those moments beforehand, Mary's thinking to herself, man, like, this is worth a lot. I don't know how good her math is, but maybe she, one year. This is one year of, of wages. And there's always a thought that goes through our head. Is this going to be a waste? Is this a waste? But I love this because Jesus says wherever the gospel is told, and the gospel will be told and preached all over the world until the Lord returns. And so literally, we're going on 2,000 years. One year's of wages lasts for one year. This act of generosity is 2,000 years and going, that the story is being told. And so I want us to understand something. When we give to the Lord, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Ultimately, if Jesus gave me everything, I can never outgive him. And he will and he can and he does more with what I give than I could ever do myself. And so I want to speak to someone because I know that, you know, in this series, like, ultimately, my heart is I want you to live in obedience to the Holy Spirit because that is how you'll be blessed. And I know that for a lot of us, there's steps that we have to take in order to, to truly put Jesus first. And I know for a lot of us, there's a competing voice that says, is this going to be worth it? Will I have enough? Can I truly do this? But I want us to understand the promise of Jesus that nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. He has this ability to do more than we ever could ourselves. There's been this math principle that has been sticking in my mind, but it's this idea that anything divided by infinity always equals zero. Any number as big as you can possibly think divided by infinity is always zero. And it seems kind of simple, but it's really been just like, I don't know, sticking in my heart. Because there's this idea that like, if we're going to spend time with Jesus in eternity, infinitely, anything and everything that we could ever do in this lifetime, that we could ever give, ultimately is nothing 
in comparison to eternity. And I wonder how hard and how tightly we hold on to our lives here on earth, the things that we have, when ultimately, in comparison to eternity, they're actually nothing. It's nothing. And so, I want to begin, as we end this series, to start to think with eternity in mind. That I can never outgive God, and whatever it is that he's calling me to give is ultimately not just for my life, but for other people to be blessed as well. So can we stand for a second, church? I would just love to, to give us a moment to respond. So if we could just all close our eyes and bow our heads. Now, if there's someone that wants to just respond to Jesus, you're just saying, man, I, I just want to give you my heart, Lord. I, wanna, I don't want to be a bag of bones any longer. I need a new heart, a new spirit. Can you show me your hand? I would love to pray for you this morning. Thank you. God, I just thank you so much for the new heart that you give to each and every one of us. Lord, that there are tangible ways that we can respond and that we can give back to the one that has given us everything. You are so good. You are so faithful. And so, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in this place, the hearts you're turning around, transforming the things that you're doing. So, Jesus, I just pray right now for someone that's making a decision to follow you, God. I just pray that uh, today, Lord, is the day they take that step. They connect and go further, go deeper with you. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we clap our hands? Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.